Hello, my name is Sean Keith, and I'm the Sunday School Discipleship Strategist for Louisiana Baptist. It is my privilege today to welcome you here to our podcast. Discipleship Matters is a podcast created for the professional and personal life of those who coordinate and lead those who make disciples who make disciples through the small group ministry in the local church. Today's host is Jason Walsworth. He is a minister of discipleship and administration at Temple Baptist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. And his guest today is Ken Brady. Ken is the director of Sunday School for Lifeway Christian Resources in Nashville, Tennessee. Ken travels and trains leaders on the topics of Sunday School and church leadership. Today's topic will cover his latest book, Breakthrough, Creating a New Scorecard for Group Ministry Success. He will overview four aspirational goals for leaders who lead small groups. I hope this podcast will challenge, inspire, and equip you to rise to the opportunity that God has for you in your ministry. Jason Walsworth with the Discipleship Matters podcast. This afternoon, we want to welcome our special guest, Ken Brady from Lifeway. Ken, welcome to the Discipleship Matters podcast. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Jason, I am thrilled to be here. Good to see you again and uh, look forward to this. Great. Ken is a guy that I've known for a few years now and uh, someone I've looked up to, someone who's been a great encouragement and help to me in ministry. I know he's going to be uh, the same for you uh, ministry leaders today on our uh, podcast. And I look forward to hearing a little bit about uh, his role at Lifeway and uh, how he is uh, serving the local church uh, through that. And then we'll talk a little bit about his new book, uh, Breakthrough. So, Ken, I noticed you do have a new role at Lifeway as Director of Sunday School and Network Partnerships. Tell us a little bit about your work there and uh, what that focuses on. Yeah, you bet. So uh, I was called uh, by Lifeway in 2010 to come out to Nashville, relocate the family, and to provide leadership to our adult ongoing curriculum. Uh, Ongoing is another word around our building for Sunday school or whatever you want to call that thing that is adjacent to our worship services and typically on Sunday mornings. And so for the last 12 years, that's what I've done. I've uh, given leadership to our curriculum uh, from Explore the Bible to Bible Studies for Life, Gospel Project, everything else in between. And during the pandemic, uh, I was asked to take on the role in addition to that role of director of Sunday school. And just recently, uh, first of this year, 2022, uh, my president came to me and he said, you know, uh, we're, we're probably are killing you with the two roles. And uh, he said, you know, if you had a choice between the two, you know, do you think you'd like the director of Sunday school role to be your full-time role? And Jason, I said, absolutely. It's kind of that dream job for me uh, because yeah. in this role, I get to uh, write, I get to write books and articles. I get to write blog posts. Uh, get to do traveling and training in the local church or state convention meetings. I've done some things with Louisiana Baptists uh, most recently, uh, this last summer, and uh, and I get to sometimes deal with seminaries and other you know organizations that uh, are related to the church, and so I feel like I've got a really great job. And my job is basically to be the chief uh, uh, cheerleader for the church uh, in terms of group ministry. So my job is to encourage, inspire, and hopefully you know, propel folks down the road in their group ministries. Well, we certainly appreciate your work uh, with Lifeway. And I can speak for my leaders that uh, you guys, you and your team do an awesome job. It's great. We use Lifeway curriculum on our Sunday morning groups. And it's awesome to be able to uh, know that we can hand them a uh, worthy resource for them to use 
that's something that is going to help them as they teach God's word to our people and as we attempt to make disciples. And uh, they're going to get a lot of help uh, through Lifeway. And, and we appreciate you and, and your team and all the work they've done. Um, real excited about your new book, uh, Breakthrough, Creating a New Scorecard for Group Ministry Success. Tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind writing this book, Breakthrough. Well, it came from uh, two two places, basically, Jason. Uh, one is about, <clears throat> I don't know, 25 years in, in local church work. I've been a minister of education, a groups pastor, whatever you want to call that job that, you know, relates and, and uh, most closely to our, you know, Bible study groups. And, uh, and over the course of, uh, you know, two and a half decades of that kind of ministry, I uh, had to ask myself and our group leaders, you know, what are we supposed to be about as group leaders? And uh, the content of the book really comes from, you know, what I've told group leaders over the years about, you know, here are the things that, that I expect and I want to see in both your life and the lives of your people. And as I look at our group ministry you know, overall, uh, these are the things that I want to see. And so it was basically a way of, you know, kind of clarifying the win uh, for our group leaders to say, look, if you're doing these things, then you're, you know, you're going to be winning and we will have a successful group's ministry. And so that was one source. The other source, you know, when I started writing the book, I was serving uh, very part-time on a staff, a local church staff here in the Nashville area. And that church had been together about 16 years, uh, really hadn't had any history of training. And so I was kind of writing this content for my group leaders at that church and realized that it was going to have a, a broader audience and could have a broader audience than just that church. And so that's when uh, B&H Publishing uh, heard that I was working on it and called, and we had a conversation and decided that this was going to be a joint project uh, between myself and our friends at B&H Publishing, which is a division of Lifeway. So that's how it started. And uh, you know, here we are about a year and a half, two years later, uh, the book finally got out with the supply chain issues and all. It was about two months late. Uh, getting to us in the warehouse, but it's here and it's out and it's doing well. You know, I think it's been a frustrating couple of years to do ministry, um, given uh, the pandemic and all that did to church attendance and uh, involvement and even just meeting together, uh, things that we took for granted for so long. I think uh, for so long, attendance was kind of the default thing that we looked at to tell whether or not our groups were healthy. Uh, whether or not they were working, whether or not the leadership of those groups was going well. But obviously the pandemic threw a wrench in all of that and made us kind of rethink and refocus on, okay, well, even coming out of the pandemic a couple of years now, we still, most churches still have not fully recovered what they were uh, before. So this uh, new scorecard for group ministry success, there's four uh, new measurements we're going to look at. And these kind of go below the surface. Attendance is sort of just a surface level number. You know, just because you had people coming before didn't mean your group was healthy necessarily. Let's just jump right in. The first new measurement you talk about is our group members learning to obey God's word. And what are some ways we can actually measure that uh, beyond, you know, are they showing up regularly? Yeah. So one of the things that I, I focus on in that first section of the book is, um, the fact that, you know, as, as disciples, and really that's what groups are, are about or should be about, Jason, you know that, you know, creating disciples, not just meeting to meet and not just coming together to learn some interesting Bible facts and factoids, but really at the end of the day, you know, we all want to be transformed and changed. We want to be different. Uh, we want to be, you know, better disciples. We want to look and act and talk more like Christ. And so one of the things I like to focus on in that first section of the book was uh, the fact that there are eight different signposts of 
growing disciples. This comes out of some research that was done for the Transformational Groups uh, Research Project, which was at the time, I think it still is, the largest research project on discipleship in North America. And so out of the survey, what we realized were, uh, and this just bubbled up from the research, we didn't force anything, but there were really eight different things. We called them signposts or attributes at one point, uh, attributes first, and then we changed it to signposts. Because we like that idea of, you know, if you're on a walk in the woods, you know, you like to see a sign every once in a while so that you know you're on the right path. And so we started calling these the eight signposts of discipleship. And in no particular order, you know, here are the eight things, Jason, that as a group leader, and I I do lead a group at my church, I want to ask myself, you know, do I see these things in myself and do I see these things in the lives of the people, you know, that I'm teaching and leading? And so here they are. Uh, Number one is building relationships. We find that growing disciples are building relationships, and that means both in and outside the church. Uh, They're they're very interested in in going deeper uh, with people in their group, but also uh, finding avenues for pulling people into their group that might not be a regular part of it. Number two, they engage with scripture. Now, this was the fun one because we anecdotally thought, you know, this has to be, you know, one of the big ones. And it turned out to be uh, just exactly that, that growing disciples do one particular thing to grow from year to year. And that is they're, they're in the word daily, Jason. I mean, they're reading their Bible, uh, like your church provides them with a Bible study curriculum. They're going through that other Christian resources. And we find that a growing disciple, uh, engages with scripture. Number three, they exercise faith, which means that they don't cower in the corner. You know, if the church says, Hey, we're going to go on a mission trip next summer, but it's going to be out of country. Maybe let's go to Brazil or someplace, you know, exotic, and we're going to do medical missions. So you need to go get a passport. You need to go get uh, permission uh, from your boss to be gone, get that vacation request in, uh, come and do some training at the church. Somebody might say, "Eh, I don't really want to do that. That sounds kind of scary, you know, going out of country. But as they think about it, you know, they think, you know, but if I go, the Lord goes with me. And so they say, you know, fooey on all the fear but I am going to go and make the vacation request. I'm going to get my passport. I'm going to you know, get trained up and I'll be ready to go on this trip. And that's why they exercise faith. So we see that taking place in the lives of growing disciples. Number four, they live unashamed, which means that they are not afraid to let you know that they are a believer. They're not obnoxious about it, but they are uh, also not timid about it either. So they're happy to engage in conversations. They'll wear the Christian jewelry, the t-shirts, uh, talk about Jesus, use his name in conversation. Number five, they obey God and they deny self. How I've seen that in my group is when we decided it was time for us to plant another group, I had I had one or two guys in the group that I thought were ready to do that and went to them privately first and asked if they would pray about taking on the responsibility of starting another group. One of them said yes. And so he said, I really would prefer to stay in the group because all our friends are in here. But he said, I know that the Lord tells us to go and make disciples. And so we feel like we need to, my wife and I need to go down the hallway, start another group. And so that's what he did. He obeyed God and he denied himself, you know, the the fun of going on with our group. He said, I'll go start another group. So you see that happening. Uh, You also see disciples seeking God. And in the survey, it really meant that they were uh, regular attenders in worship, that they were seeking him there corporately with other people in their church. Number seven, they serve God and others. And we find them serving in the church and outside the church. I know we'll talk about that here in a little bit. And then lastly, they share Christ. They're verbal and have a verbal witness. Uh, they're not afraid to not only wear the T-shirts and the jewelry, but they'll actually engage you in a conversation and share the gospel if you're willing to listen to it. And so you see these eight things going on and you ask, you know, how do you know if you're, you know, people are learning? Well, you start seeing them doing these eight things. And as a group leader, I kind of listen and watch for these things in conversations in the class 
And it kind of gives me an indication, you know, that my group is either on the right path or we may need to help get them back on the path. Does that make sense? Yeah, that was one of the first things that jumped out uh, at me from your book is those eight attributes of discipleship. And I quickly shared those uh, with uh, some of our leaders. And it's hard as a ministry leader to to follow and track that closely on each group. But as a group leader, that should be their responsibility and task to be tracking with people and encouraging people and moving them along these steps. And uh, I was I was really excited to share that with them. So your second new yeah. measurement, it talks about inviting people to become disciples. And uh, I know a few years ago, our church spent the year trying to track the number of gospel conversations uh, that our people were having. And that was fun and challenging. So tell us a little bit more about this second new measurement, inviting people to become disciples. Yeah, yeah, probably not a new one, but it is definitely one that's got to be in there in group leadership. If you want to have any kind of, you know, if you want to call it, you know, air quote success, uh, this is evangelism and it's, it's why groups exist. You know, we exist to make disciples, which implies that we're going to go out there and share the gospel, turn them into the disciples, and then we're going to do what Jesus said in the Great Commission. We're going to teach them to obey. So it's the, you know, two tracks. You've got evangelism and then you've got the teaching and discipling of people. And what I have found is that uh, in, in the groups that I've led, this has been the hard one. This has been the hard one to get folks to be comfortable uh, going out and being uh, vocal about their faith. And so uh, in the book, I talk a lot about uh, eating with sinners and tax collectors is one of the names of the uh, chapters. You know, Are we eating with sinners and tax collectors? It was one of those great things that Jesus was accused of by the Pharisees. You know, They uh, didn't like the fact that he was hanging out with the undesirables. And he overheard him and he said to the Pharisees, you know, hey, look, uh, I've come not for the healthy, but for the sick. And so where, where do you think I would be? And I think that, you know, we got to be careful in group life because sometimes our groups can become our life. You know, that's where our best friends are. It's not a bad thing, but we don't need to forget that there are folks that live across the street from us or they work down uh, the aisle from us at the office and the different cubicle. And, uh, and those folks need a relationship with the Lord. They need a church home. They need to be in a group. And so it's super important that we make sure that uh, that we're ready to share the gospel in and out of season. And Jason, I don't know about you, but I've I found that you know people in my group, if they had if they if they knew how to do two things, then they were I think very bold in sharing their faith. And, and one is that they have to know how to share and articulate their testimony. You can call it their story or whatever. You know, we've called it testimony for a long time. But I would have my people regularly write out their testimony in class. Sometimes I actually, you know, didn't do the Sunday school lesson for the day, but we focused uh, on one particular Sunday, you know, on writing out our testimonies, which a lot of them, they'd never done that. And I said, this is something you are going to now turn to a neighbor, share your testimony, share your story with your neighbor. And they would do that. And that's would say, now reverse that role and the other person share. And then after that exercise and after that class, Jason, they realized, hey, I now know how to, you know, kind of have this elevator speech about, how I come, you know, came to know the Lord, what my life was like before that, and, and what has he done for me since then. So I, I know how to share that. But then also they have to know a second thing. And if they know how to share their testimony, you're halfway there. The other half is they need to know a, a simple gospel presentation, you know, and, and we may have learned, you know, uh, the uh, evangelism explosion method, you know, it's a 45 minute to an hour presentation. I, I, these days I, I tell them, Hey, we're going to learn. Uh, I like the navigators. They have a one verse evangelism. It's uh, Romans six twenty three. So we've memorized Romans six twenty three. We know how to write that out on the back of a napkin. And I've taught them how to share the gospel using that one verse in about two to three minutes. So they're armed with that. 
They're armed with their testimony, and now they've got everything they need to be used by the Lord when the opportunity comes along and invite those people that they know to become disciples. And so I found that that's uh, super helpful if they know those two things. Yeah, that's a great practice. Uh, you know, I've always heard, you know, you need a 60-second testimony, you need a five-minute testimony, and uh, I, but I haven't seen that Navigator's uh, Romans 6.23. I'll have to look into that. That's a great Hey, The gr- great, the great thing about that one is if you've got a, an iPhone, a smartphone of some kind uh, in both like Google Play Store and in over the, uh, you know, the uh, iTunes, uh, if you just go Google uh, or Google, if you'll just go look up uh, One Verse Evangelism, there are actually apps that you can download to your phone. And if you're not comfortable sharing, you know, uh, yourself, then you can use the app and literally you just swipe from screen to screen and it does the work for you. And then you call that person, you know, to a point of decision. And so it's, it's super easy and they've got a great app for it too. That's great. I I love this quote from the book in this section here too. It it says the starting point for making disciples is the prayer of God's people and by that, I mean praying for specific people by name. And I think a lot yeah. of churches struggle with making their congregations a house of prayer, as Jesus said it should be. But this is just a practical, easy way to practice that every week and to prompt your people, encourage your people uh, to be in prayer for the lost, be in prayer for people who they know who are in their circles of influence who need to uh, need to make a decision for the Lord. So. Yeah, absolutely. Most of us know somebody in our family. Uh, we've got a couple in our family, our, our broader family. Uh, you probably know somebody in the neighborhood that doesn't get up and go to church, you know, and uh, we've all got those people that we should be praying for. Um, Arthur Flake uh, was really big on this. He was the very first uh, director of Sunday school back in 1920 for the old Sunday school board, which is now Lifeway. And that was one of his uh, one of his uh, tenets was uh, if you're going to reach people, uh, you need to be praying for them and praying for them uh, specifically. And David Francis, who was uh, most recently in the role that I'm in now, uh, wrote a book and uh, he talked about, I think this was really, I thought, brilliant on his part because I've seen it in my group life, but he talked about three levels of prayers in our Bible study groups. Had never really thought about it until I read David and I thought, yeah, he's exactly right because I've seen this. He says the first level of prayers that take place uh, in your group, he calls it the class level prayer. This is like, hey, we're going to pray for good weather, you know, uh, happiness and sunshine, things like this. Very safe, you know, we're not going to, very high altitude prayers. He said, then you see the group as they've been together for a while, uh, the people move into the second level. And he said, that's, he called it the community level. So you go from class level, safe prayers. Now in the community level, you're actually saying a little bit more, you're letting people see a little bit more of your life, Jason. So how that might look in my, my group is that somebody might say, Hey, look, um, you know, I, I'm really nervous that I, I may lose my job this week. We hear there's layoffs coming. Group, would you pray for us? There's some vulnerability there. Or uh, a lady in the group may say, hey, would you all pray for my husband? He just refuses to come to class. He's not very spiritual. He's not. He's really not saved. Can the group, can you guys support us and pray for us? I, I really want him to be here. So you get those little more intimate prayers. But then David says the place that a lot of groups struggle to get, and, and my, my groups that I've led have struggled to get to this one too, we wanted to get there and we were working towards it. But he said that last level is the, he calls it the commission level. And it comes from the great commission. He says, well, you know that you've really hit this level when people during the prayer time say things like this. Hey, Jason, 
would would the group mind praying for me this week because there's a new guy in the office he's about three cubicles down uh, we've kind of had those water cooler conversations but we're going to do lunch on this week you know on wednesday and i am going to share the gospel or i'm going to try to i'm going to try to see if that door opens so i'm nervous i've never done it before but would you pray for me? Pray for this guy, Bob, that I'm going to talk to. And you start, he said, you start hearing things like that, or pray for my wayward child, or like that lady, pray for my husband that's not coming. I pray for his salvation. And he said, when you get to that point, he said, it's a really sweet thing in a group because they become more outwardly focused than inward. And that's a great place to be. Yeah, that's also a great segue to the, the next, the, the third new measurement, form deeper relationships. And yeah. uh, once you get to that deeper level, I'm not sure really there's a more important measurement for groups coming out of the separation and isolation that so many people felt over the last couple of years. What are some ways we can measure how our groups are forming deeper relationships with each other? Yeah. So Kerry uh, uh, Niehoff has written some blog posts about this, um, and, and he really caught my attention when he made this statement that, and this kind of hurt my heart when I first heard it, but I think he's right. He said that uh, he's talking about the post-pandemic church. Uh, he said in the future, and I think we're there now because he wrote this about a year and a half ago. He said, you know, in the future, growing churches are going to realize that community and connection are going to outweigh content. And I'm like, wait a second. You know, we're, we're all about content in groups. You know, we got to study the Bible. But what he was trying to help the reader understand is that there's got to be a balance. You know, the groups absolutely need good theologically sound content, but not to the exclusion of having people in community in the group because they really are there, not all the time, just you know, to come to hear content, but they're there because they're hungry and they're starving for relationships. And he said, that's where the local church is going to win out because we can do that better than anybody else. You know, we can get people in community in relationships. And so, you know, right now my wife and I are in a fairly new, well, it's not new group. We're new, we're new to the group, but uh, this, this group has been together for a while. They're really working hard to do this. And uh, they have just launched tables of eight. And so we went to our first one about, uh, I don't know, two Saturday nights ago, had a blast. And uh, if you don't know what tables of eight are, uh, it's just four couples, eight people that come together and they do it for four months in a row. And one couple, one month says, hey, we're going to meet at my house for dinner. We're cooking or grilling. Or the couple says, hey, we're meeting at this restaurant. Everybody be there at six o'clock. And then the next couple, the next month declares, hey, here's what we're going to do this month. And so for four months, you're together, you're building relationships. We absolutely had a blast. And just this last Sunday, uh, six of the people that were uh, in this group, I'm sorry, four, because we were the other two that would make six, four of the people that were in that group that Saturday night said, hey, let's go to lunch on Sunday. Let's get out there and just because we're all going to go eat. And so we had another great time of fellowship with uh, about half of that tables of eight group. And so important because Tammy and I as new members of this church are trying to plug in, make some new friendships and they're really making it easy. Uh, so great. I'd also, you know, I take a look at uh, the number of guests that are in a group. You know, you obviously, you know, people are taking role from Sunday to Sunday. Uh, how many of those guests are really plugging in and building relationships with folks or are they just attending? Uh, we don't want them to just do that. We want them to be, you know, going a little bit deeper with our people and our people with them. And then maybe also, Jason, just the frequency of fellowships. I found that most groups could significantly ramp up the number of things that they do, you know, every quarter, uh, sometimes even, you know, every month. Uh, it's just not always on a group's radar, but it is, it's, it's like glue. The relationship side of class can be like relational glue 
that really brings a group together. And so I think this one in, in post COVID world, this one is extremely important. In fact, when I do conferencing on this, I'll say, if you, if you want to perk up on anything, this is, this is the one I think I would give significant time and thought to in my groups. How do we go deeper with people? Yeah, I think our church and most churches are definitely experiencing that increased appetite for connection and community. And uh, we are doing our best to emphasize that. Like you said, you talk about micro groups in this uh, chapter, in this section as well. And one of the things we've started over the last year and a half, I guess, coming out of COVID has been D groups. And you talked about the tables of eight. Those, Those are great examples of helping people form deeper relationships and uh, that's been they've been a blessing to our church uh, and people we cannot stop talking about how much they're enjoying the smaller groups. Even uh, there's some other examples uh, maybe that you have for micro groups or that might help people think through that a little bit more. Yeah, the uh, uh, here at Lifeway, we uh, I don't know, about four or five years ago, created this little uh, tool called the Daily Discipleship Guide. Uh, forever and a day, for a hundred years, you know, we've pr- produced what some folks call the quarterly, you know, that we call it now personal study guide, but it's that, it's that piece of literature that's got 13 Bible studies for the quarter in it. And we're supposed to, you know, being good Baptists, we're supposed to read that and, you know, come to class and be ready to talk and discuss and help our teacher, you know, with the lesson. Well, about five years ago, we created a different version of that called the daily discipleship guide. And it, it's, it's got two unique features that the other one doesn't have. One is that it's got five daily studies that come after the group meeting. So we come to class, we participate with our teacher and our group members, and then we get to dig deeper on our own for the next four or five days as we're continuing to dig down into that scripture that we learned as a group. So that's one unique thing. But the other really unique piece of this is that it has a micro group feature. There are a series of questions at the end of every week's lessons. And that's designed for like people like you and me and maybe another one or two to meet at a restaurant, uh, you know, meet for breakfast or lunch. And using the study guide that we would use in class, the one that we've used during the week, uh, it gives us an opportunity to go even deeper as you know, two or three or four guys, and hopefully there's another group over there, two or three or four ladies, and and they're doing the same thing, and they're giving each other permission to you know speak into each other's lives, to ask some of those hard questions, and go on that deeper discipleship journey and walk, and so that's built into the daily discipleship guide. Yes, I'm familiar with that. That's a great resource. Good, good. Thank you for that. And then this fourth new measurement you talk about in the in the book is engaging in acts of service and. I was excited last week when I had a group leader email me and say, hey, we want to do some acts of service together. And uh, you even take it a little further than that in the chapter you talk about. Uh, so I was excited to see where you talk about our group members encouraged to serve in the church. And I think that's a great way we can measure discipleship in our churches and our groups. How many people are actually serving some ministry or in some way giving back to the local church? Absolutely. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, if you're not seeing that happening as a group, uh, as a group leader, it's really an area that we need to give some attention to. I had a, a friend of mine years ago that I brought in to do some training with my Sunday school teachers back in the day. And he made this statement. Now, this is like 20 years ago, but God burned this into my brain when he when he said it. And I thought, man, I wish I had thought of this. But here's what my friend Daryl said. He told my teachers, he said, folks, Sunday school is a clearinghouse, not a storehouse. And my teachers kind of looked at him and kind of cocked their heads. And he went on to explain that, you know, the goal is not to be the biggest class 
It's not to have the biggest group or the, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, hammer in the church, you know, say, hey, look, my group's very significant. We've got, you know, 40, 50 people in it. He said, what you want to do as a group leader is make sure that you're clearing your group out and that they are encouraged to go serve somewhere, maybe in the preschool ministry, the kids ministry, student ministry, start another adult group, you know, do something in the church because God has gifted us, as you know, you know uh, with gifts to give to the church and to use in service. And I have seen so many times, in fact, in every church that I have served, I have had at least one or two teachers that have said to me with sometimes a finger pointed at my face, don't come into my room and don't take my people, don't mess up our fellowship, uh, leave my group alone. And I don't like that mentality and mindset. I, I want teachers that say, you know, these are not my people. These people belong to the Lord. I'm a temporary shepherd over these people. And, and I want to encourage them to go use their God-gifted abilities, you know, both in the community and, you know, inside the church. It's, it's important to be doing both. Yeah, I, I uh, was mentioning or thinking about part of your chapter here. This section talks about healthy groups also make a difference outside the walls of the church. And talk about the importance of that and the benefits of doing that as a group. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, if you've ever been on a mission trip, you know, uh, Mexico, South America, you know, Canada, you, you, inside the continental United States, if you've gone anywhere with a group of people for a while and done, you know, missions, you come back with this incredible sense of camaraderie, togetherness. Uh, you feel your relationships with people are at a deeper level. You're high-fiving them in the hallway at church now uh, where you just maybe passed them, you know, the week or so before the, the mission trip. I find that when groups get out and go serve in their community together, something very similar happens. You know, it just it deepens a relationship. It gives a different kind of bond and bonding between people that you just don't get if you don't uh, do something like this. I had a group at my second church that came to me when we were encouraging them to do this. And they said, do you care? This is a group of senior adults. They said, do you care what we do in the community? I said, I really don't just do something. And they said, well, we'll talk about it and get back to you and let you know. Well, they came back to me about a month later and said, hey, guess what we we decided to do? I said, I have no idea. What'd you decide to do? And they said, we're going to adopt the local women's shelter. Uh, there's a crisis shelter. And usually the lady is, you know, running from an abusive spouse or a boyfriend. They got kids in tow. Sometimes the lady does not have job skills and, you know, it's, it's kind of a desperate situation. So they said, we want to adopt one lady at a time as she comes through this six month program there at Grapevine, Texas. And I said, okay, this is great. And so uh, we were invited to the graduation day of the first one that they adopted and they helped her set up the apartment that she was given and got her some furniture, got her some plates and you know, utensils and anything that she needed. And what we didn't know is that as we're eating some cake and punch and celebrating with her, and she was going to move out that week, and then another lady was going to move in. They were going to adopt that next lady. They, they asked all of us to come out into the parking lot. And so, okay, we moved from her first floor apartment right out in the parking lot. And one of the guys in the group uh, gave a little speech about how much they'd enjoyed serving her and getting to know her and her kids. And he reached into his pocket and he said, do you see this car that's sitting right here that you've never seen before? this is your car. And they gave her the keys and it was not brand new, Jason, but it was one, it was a late model. They'd done work on it, had new tires put on it, got it tuned up. It was road worthy, ready for her to go start her new life, her new job, safe transportation for her kids. It was amazing. And that was, just, that just simply happened because we told our groups, 
this is one of the big wins that we want is we want to be making a difference in people's lives out in the community. So it's one that I always look back on. I'm just very thankful that that group did that. Yeah. And we've had other groups that have adopted schools, uh, you know, uh, done lawn cutting and uh, all those things for seniors that you know, couldn't do that. So uh, they've been very uh, creative in the way they've been interacted with the community. Yeah, I've always been amazed at how the experiences, even just fellowships and service opportunities outside of Sunday morning have just enriched the Sunday morning relationship time, even going back to forming deeper relationships, how that has just been like a catalyst for uh, for that uh, within a group setting. And that's been a big blessing in my ministry. And I know uh, it will be. Well, thanks so much for sharing a little bit about Breakthrough. I know it's an exciting resource that I know our leaders will want to pick up and uh, learn from and share with their group leaders. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing that uh, with some of ours as well. Before we let you go, though, I just wanted to ask you a few things about um, LifeWay, some new resources that might be out, something that's popular, something that's new coming from LifeWay that our listeners may want to know about and might be interested in. Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, there's a resource that was introduced during covid uh, they didn't get a lot of airtime just because COVID, you know, was a, kind of this wrecking ball and it's unfortunate, but uh, this new resource uh, was called, is called uh, My New Life and it's six sessions. It's great for uh, adults who have just uh, become Christians and it's six sessions on things that they need to know to get their life in Christ started out on the right foot. It's a great resource, um, not expensive at all. Uh, not hard to lead. And so if you're discipling somebody uh, that's newer in the faith, this is a great resource. Uh, my new life. I take a look at that one right there. Uh, and then, of course, I mentioned the daily discipleship guide that continues to get great traction right now. Uh, discipleship being you know a hot topic in the church, especially as we're coming out of COVID. And then, you know, our, we've got Ministry Grid. It has really uh, done some great things. You can get your curriculum there digitally. That's where I get mine every week. I go download what I need. It's on my iPad. I teach from my iPad typically, Jason. And so it's, it's super convenient. But it also allows my church to put training on the grid that I get to watch, something that they want me to hear, in addition to the other trainings you know that are out there already preloaded on Ministry Grid. So I'd say take a look at that, too, if you're you know, in the mood for training uh, and or you know digital curriculum delivery. It's a great tool. Yeah, more and more of our leaders are requesting that digital uh, access, and we're happy to give it to them. Yeah. Hey, I'm excited about you coming uh, to Louisiana in March for a new Essentials Conference. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, and if you have those dates, uh, where you might be? Uh, well, yeah, yeah that's going to tax me a little bit here. It's uh, I know I'm going to be in Denham Springs. Uh, I forget the second location, but uh, I'm sure that's going to be on y'all's uh, I think Alexandria, state. yeah. That, that's it. Yeah. yeah, Alexandria. That's exactly right. It's a conference that we bring to uh, different regions of the country. And uh, the great thing is uh, it's free. We don't charge for it. It's a two-day event. Uh, we'll come in, bring conference materials. Everybody gets a brand new Bible. They'll get three or four books on group ministry, including the Breakthrough book, several others. And, and we'll spend two days talking about principles for growing a Sunday school, principles for enlisting leaders, principles for uh, creating a training plan for your church, for mapping out a discipleship process. So it's, you know, we, we, we literally drink from a fire hydrant for about two days. Uh, but at the very end of it all, we go through a, a, the last hour, we actually help the, everybody who's come to map out their next step so that when they walk out of the conference, it's not just, wow, we've heard a lot of stuff for a couple of days, but they actually know what to do with it and they know how to take it and to help their church grow 
going forward. And so they walk out with a plan for that. And so as we partner with states, all we ask them to do is to find us a place to come, give us you know a church, and then get the word out. And then we'll come in, life will come in and just bless the socks, everybody. We pay for the food, snacks, breaks, conference materials. It really it doesn't cost them you know anything to come to the conference. The conference is free. And because most of the folks that come are local, they just drive home, spend the night in their own bed, come back the next morning, finish the conference. So really it can be a, you know, for the ones that are participating, it can be a zero sum event, which is a great thing. Yeah, I, I'll give you a little testimony. I, I actually took part in one of the Essentials Conference a few years ago in Nashville that Lifeway put on, and it's been one of the most beneficial things uh, I've done to my ministry. And excited about your version of that. I think I'll be joining you in Alexandria yeah. and trying to get some of our team members and leadership to come as well. So looking forward to that. Also, uh, tell, tell people where they can find you. I know you have a great blog that I read often, and you have a new podcast coming out. So tell us how we can keep up with you and uh, your ministry uh, in the days ahead. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, KenBrady.com. So it's K-E-N-B-R-A-D-D-Y.com, uh, just like it sounds for the most part. Uh, there, I, I launched this one when I came to Lifeway. Uh, I came to Lifeway in 2010, started this in 2011. So it's, uh, what now, about 12 years old or good, getting almost to be 12 years old. There's about 1,200 articles that are in the archives. Those are searchable. I've also got links to books on discipleship, leadership, teaching, uh, Lifeway curriculum, just trying to make it handy for folks. Uh, don't get paid to do this. I do it just for fun and to help groups and group leaders uh, like yourself. Uh, and others out there in the church. And so, yeah, it's free to follow. Uh, the book, uh, when I was writing it for the last couple of years, uh, it took so much of my time. I used to blog every day and and I had to really throttle back. I couldn't write a book and do that. So these days I'm, I'm posting probably once a week or so, maybe twice if I get inspired, you know, when I got something I think I need to say. But uh, yeah, KenBrady.com uh, is, is something I'd love for your listeners to come and be a part of that online uh, community. And we are going to start a new uh, a new podcast in February. That's the plan right now. Uh, it's, it's going to be called Disciple Making in Community with Ken Brady. It's going to focus on ongoing groups uh, for the most part. That's, you know, people that are on campus, Sunday school or whatever you want to call it these days. But it's going to be designed for that. Our first series, we're going to do this like Netflix, Jason. We're going to do like seven episodes. And this won't be like an every week or an every month. But we're going to do these things in seasons. And so season one, this should drop in February. It's going to be all about the recruiting and training of new leaders. Right, right now, as we're coming out of COVID, that's one of the top things we're hearing is, you know, we, we know we need to start some new groups. we got a lot of folks coming. They're excited to be back together in church or coming for the first time, but we don't have enough leaders. And so that's where we're going to start in February is helping the church, uh, small, medium, large, and mega churches uh, hear how they are approaching this idea and the practice of recruiting people into uh, ministry volunteer role. So that's where we're going to start uh, in February. And you know, how can you uh, see, you know, find find out where that's coming from and, and, and how to get there. I think if you'll just, you know, follow the blog at KenBrady.com, I'm going to post there once we get the URL and uh, we'll direct folks. It'll be on iTunes and other places, uh, Spotify, uh, but uh, we'll get all that information out as we get a little bit closer. Great. I know that'll be a great resource. Ken, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Appreciate you, your work and your ministry. You've been a blessing to me. And I know you're going to bless so many other leaders through this podcast today. And I appreciate you and your work. God bless you. And I look forward to catching up to you again soon. Great. Thank you, Jason. 
We pray that you heard something in this podcast that God can use in your life and ministry that will help you to be the man or woman of God that he will use to accomplish his will for his glory. There's nothing more exciting than to be inspired to find new meaning and purpose and vision for your ministry. At the same time, ministry can be demanding, mundane, and frustrating. No matter what season you're in, God has a plan. You are his masterpiece. You can trust him. You're not alone. So please join us again in our next podcast for Discipleship Matters. This podcast is made possible by your gifts through the Cooperative Program.